Truth Espresso, episode 111. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. <laughs> and now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. <sighs> this is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. Hey there, Truth Espresso listeners. This is your host, Daniel Minnick, coming at you with uh, yet another episode of Truth Espresso. Now, my voice sounds a little bit lower in this recording, and that is because I am still just getting over a head cold that I got this last week. And if you've been listening to the last several episodes, my wife and I have been doing a series on marriage. And so we were planning the next episode in this series, but we decided to give our voices a little bit of break so we can fully recover from that. And so what we're going to present to you is actually an interview that I did with Eric Leupold of Governed by God. And Governed by God is a member podcast of the Christian podcast community, along with Truth Espresso. And so this was an interview among friends. And I highly encourage you to check out Governed by God with Eric Leupold. He has a lot of good insight into biblical law there. And each of his episodes will usually study a law of God from the Bible at the beginning and then have an interview with someone on a topic related to God's law. Or Eric will talk about some of the politics going on in his home state of Pennsylvania and how these politics go against biblical law. And so I've checked out quite a few of his episodes. They're very informative. And so I once again encourage you to check out Governed by God with Eric Leupold. I will provide a link to Governed by God in the show notes as well as a link to the episode that Eric originally aired that featured this interview. Now this was Eric interviewing me and we recorded this back around May. And even at that time, I was still recovering from COVID. So yes, I got that nasty dreaded COVID-19. And to tell you a little bit about that at the time, when I got it, the symptoms that I had were, I would say, a little milder than the typical cold and so I didn't feel as beaten down by it. The only issue that I had with COVID was that I coughed myself enough that I pulled my chest a little bit. And so coughing really hurt my chest. And at that time, it was kind of difficult. So that was the hard part of it for me, not the actual symptoms of COVID. But Eric and I had been trying to work out a discussion together in April, and then when I got COVID, we had to reschedule a little bit, and then, you know, just things would keep coming up, like we had to keep on pushing it to the next week and the next week, and it was taking a while for me to manage my cough, and eventually we were able to bite the bullet and do our discussion, and I still had a little bit of problems dealing with a lingering cough, and so you might hear that a little bit in this interview, but Eric, in Governed by God, wanted to talk to me about biblical money. Yes, I know that doesn't sound like a very interesting topic, but yes, the Bible has a lot to talk about money, and what we weren't talking about was personal finance, you know, not how to do a family budget, how to keep yourself out of debt, per se. It was more about macroeconomics, according to the Bible, you know, the politics of how the government tries to manipulate the economy by controlling money. 
And so, discussing how the Bible defines what a good money is, how the Bible defines, rather, a stable money with equal weights and measures, and how pretty much everything that the government does today when it comes to our monetary system leads to corruption and is not how the Bible defines things, and that if we went back to the biblical definition and the biblical understanding of a sound money and how the supply should not be able to be counterfeited and manipulated by the control of a government or some kind of central bank that's able to keep interest rates artificially low, prime the pump, do stimulus whatever, or prevent bank runs by printing more money and stuff like that. Yeah, none of that's biblical, as I hope you'll see in this discussion. And Eric and I both believe that if enough Christians understood this and that we held politicians' feet to the fire and that if enough people understood this, why the current monetary system is corrupt and evil and is really a form of slavery, it robs what people have earned and gives that ability to purchase the goods and services created by the market to insiders, those connected with the government and the banks and uh, favored corporations and provides a virtually endless money spigot for the government to spend on things they like, like, say, unbiblical causes, social causes, keeping themselves re-elected and making promises of stealing what belongs to other people in the name of welfare and caring for the poor and whatnot and getting people to vote for them, and so on. So lots of stuff that we understand that is corrupt is enabled to be corrupt because of a misunderstanding of what money is and what it should be, as we believe the Bible makes clear. And there are times when Israel disobeyed God in this regard, and God even sent them into captivity because of it. So, I think it's very important, according to God's law, that we respect the poor, we respect the laborer, and we respect that what you earn is yours— And that if the government can simply just create new money and buy things, it is a redistribution of wealth. It is theft that has just the same effects as a high tax on labor and on income, but it's worse because it's more insidious. And the educational system has brainwashed a lot of people to think this way. And so, without further ado, enjoy this discussion as I was interviewed by Eric Leupold of Governed by God. So today, I had the opportunity to interview Daniel Minnick, who is the uh, host of the Truth Espresso podcast, um, also part of the Christian podcast community, uh, of which uh, Governed by God, my podcast, is a part of. Uh, Daniel Minnick is a software engineer, has a bachelor's degree in computer science and a master's in information Systems now, Truth Espresso uh, on that podcast he covers a lot of different topics, a lot of different worldview topics, um, and one such topic that I found particularly interesting on his podcast is that of economics. Uh, uh, Daniel has a has a wonderful brain; uh, he can think things through way better than uh, than I can. And so, the topic that we're going to discuss together is that of economics, uh, money, uh, debt, and basically some of the problems that we see in uh, the United States and America regarding our economic system and the things that are that are going on with it that are unbiblical. And so we do take a look at some of the laws in Scripture regarding that. So I really do hope you enjoy uh, this discussion with Daniel Minnick from Truth Espresso. And if you want to take a look at his podcast, just go to truthespresso.com. That's truth, T-R-U-T-H, and then S. P-R-E-S-S-O dot com. And without further ado, my discussion with Daniel Minnick. All right, uh, Dan, I really appreciate you joining me uh, this evening to have a good conversation on the topic of economics. It's very, obviously, a very broad topic. And um, 
just for our listeners out there, uh, you're the host of Truth Espresso, and I've had a chance to to listen to uh, a couple episodes and have really appreciated it. And so um, I'm glad to have you on the show today here on Governed by God because you and I kind of cover some of the same topics regarding uh, how law, uh, government, uh, economics uh, should all fonder uh, scripture and and God's standard for for living. So I kind of just wanted to open it up to you, uh, being someone who you know you're very familiar with economics and some of the unbiblical things that are happening in our culture today. Um, more specifically on on, on the American uh, issue, what do you see? as some of the big problems, the big unbiblical issues um, economically in our culture? Well, yes. First of all, thank you, Eric, for uh, uh, allowing me to be on your podcast, Govern My God. And as you said, we have a, a, a lot of similar interests there and, and seeing um, the world through uh, the lens of God's law as he spells mm-hmm. out in the Bible. And and when it comes to the issue of economics, I think that it's a very deep and complicated issue that I really wish a lot more people would understand. Basically, economics is kind of like, if you think of it like an onion, there are a lot of layers to it. But uh-huh. when you peel back the layers and get to the core, economics is very simple. Yeah. And it all comes down to the idea of what is money and what is the purpose of money and what would be honest money versus uh, a dishonest money. Mm -hmm. And so I think um, when it comes to economics and all the problems that we see when we see like rampant government spending on uh, doling out favors to uh, corrupt organizations, Mm -hmm. uh, helping um, you know, government bureaucrats and banks helping out their friends while basically leaving the average person high and dry. I think all of it ultimately gets traced back to why is that even possible? And the reason it's possible has to do with the whole money system that I believe departs from what the Bible prescribes uh, as far as what is an honest money and what is a dishonest form of money and yeah. the monopoly on money hmm. you know you mentioned uh, some of the <laughs> some of the spending from the government and obviously you know we're a year plus into this uh, pandemic and now we many of us have gotten multiple uh, stimulus checks and 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 a lot of people that I that I talk to they don't really see any problem with it per se or they don't they're not really bothered by by the getting the money i mean the only thing that really bothers them is if they don't get it so you know as long as they get it they're cool with it and i don't know and i imagine you you've had some similar conversations but I, I try to get people to think about that that money like it just doesn't come out of thin air you know it's not, not really real and it's going to be problems in the future. So it's kind of that, um, topic of, of fake or, or fiat money. Can you speak a little bit about the problem that you see with this kind of spending and essentially printing of money by the government? Yeah. So first, uh, I'd like to come, uh, come up with a definition of money just so we know exactly what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, the definition of money that I came up with for my podcast, Truth Espresso, is any good, whether tangible or intangible, whose primary use is as a medium of exchange. And so money is basically what facilitates transactions. It's anything that's in the middle of trading different goods and services, basically gets in the middle of um, barter and mm-hmm. makes barter essentially easier. And if we want to look at what a... um biblical money is we look at the characteristics of a money so technically any good can be Mm -hmm. used as a money because i said it's a good Mm -hmm. um, but certain characteristics make some things better suited as money Mm -hmm. Um, these characteristics are that number one it's relatively scarce you Mm -hmm. know so if you go to if everyone lives at the ocean 
and you try to use sand as money, that's not going to work very well because you can't even contain how much sand you use that would make it valuable for transactions. Mm -hmm. So relatively scarce. Another uh, number two, it's portable. You need to be able to carry it around. Otherwise, it makes it hard to transact in a marketplace. Mm -hmm. uh, number three is it's divisible. Um, number four, it's fungible. In other words, every unit of money ha has the same value as any other unit of the same denomination. Hmm. Um, number so, five, it's durable, hmm. you know, like say uh, dirt or something that can erode or wither is not going to last long and therefore any if a good is durable that makes it uh work better as money so you could store it longer you can save it and you can plan your spending when you need it and then the, finally which this i think is important uh, for biblical money as opposed to the system we have today number six is that money has utility in other words it has um valuable uses like, so what makes something a good money is that it itself is a good that has, um, you know, factors like, say, for instance, if we take gold, you know, gold isn't just shiny and beautiful. It also is, um, you know, it's malleable. You can shape it. It uh, conducts electricity. It's used in products like USB devices. <laughs> and so what the reason people found something like gold valuable is that it actually has uses. It has utility and that's how it became historically valuable for money. Hmm. So I mentioned that there are many things, you know, agricultural produce, wampum, seashells, large <laughs> stones, precious metals and paper have historically been used as money. But what things have been tested, time tested um, that people have used for thousands of years, as the Bible shows, are things like gold and silver, because they have all of those features, those characteristics of a good money. Hmm. And so, so, so you would say um, that, I mean, it seems like, like these six rules or these six characteristics, I should say, they make sense. And, but is it the case that they just kind of, happened naturally as humans engaged in uh, commerce with each other that it just so happened like I don't like what I guess I'm trying to say is uh, somebody in the ancient world uh, didn't just sit down and, and say okay look I need something that does this 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 and this and this and then he goes through his list of items you know you know piece of rock no cow no you know piece of wood no and then he lands on gold or is it more just it naturally came about that over time, uh, generally speaking, throughout the world, gold and silver, precious stones, um, rose to the top as far as the best forms of money, medium exchange, um, because of those qualities, but it's not that somebody was explicitly trying to find those qualities. Does that make sense? Yes, it's uh, money is definitely an indirect um unintentional discovery of natural free market processes. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we have the revelation of God. And if we look at uh, Genesis chapter two, verses 11 through 12, we see that God created money naturally, even mm -hmm. if it, he didn't just dictate down from heaven to some kind of government and say, you will use <laughs> gold and silver as money. But yeah. from the start, naturally, we see it says, um, the name of the first referring to, uh, rivers that, that, that is it, which compasseth the whole land of Havila where there is gold and the gold mm. of that land is good. There is mm. delium and the onyx stone. And so we see that God created things. If it seems like he intended them to be discovered and used naturally as money. And so, mm. you know, as I mentioned, people used different things that might have had one or two or several of the characteristics that make sense as money. But it mm. seems like God naturally created things, you know, gold, silver, precious stones with their characteristics 
that makes them naturally suited as money, but he never set up anything that would be like a central government and mm-hmm. dictated to them, you will create the money and you will control the, the money and the supply of money. I bet you this is probably a very uh, in-depth question, but you know, how <laughs> did we get in a way, I mean, maybe, in, maybe in a nutshell or in five minutes or less, like from, from that idea to where we are today as far as like now we just go around handing these uh, pieces of paper with with people's faces on it uh and, and we we as humans think that that has value or even we just use you know digital ones and zeros credit or electronic money like uh you know where, where did the disconnect happen or, or or how did it come to this yeah, it's definitely a a complicated answer that would mm-hmm. be needed for that question. I mean, I can give kind of a mm-hmm. like a hypothetical story, you know, mm-hmm. where um, obviously the invention of print paper and the printing press, I think it was the Chinese who actually invented paper, mm-hmm. you know, it was a good thing for the economy because, you know, it allows us to to keep records better it's better for writing and and printing things and mm-hmm. uh, books disseminating information and i would say that there's nothing wrong with using paper itself as a currency as long as we understand how it should be limited it's like so if we're going to use paper um like really we should use it and in history, it was used as a money substitute. Mm-hmm. In other words, a bank, like people would store their gold or silver at a bank, and then the bank would issue what were called warehouse receipts in paper. And the paper itself, you know, it's a lot lighter. It's it's much more portable, actually, than gold and silver. And, you know, maybe if someone on the street sees some Uh, a bag with shiny stuff, you know, on your person, you might have more of a risk of getting mugged and robbed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So paper, uh, the warehouse receipts made it much easier to carry money. And then because it represented gold and silver in a bank, um, the, the warehouse receipts would be treated as a substitute for the money. And so people would exchange these warehouse receipts um, for goods and services because the person who bore the note would re- would know that he can take that warehouse receipt to a bank and redeem it for the gold and silver. And so, you know, there is a rule that things like money substitutes instruments such as paper can play a role in facilitating commerce but then the problem happens when the banks um, realize that they could try to get away with (coughs) excuse me lending out more paper printing more paper than they actually have money in the vault and that's exactly what has happened Mm -hmm. throughout history and then when people start to get suspicious that maybe the bank it was not being honest and they didn't really have their money in safekeeping at the bank they would try to come to the bank to get their real money and redeem the receipts but Mm -hmm. if there's more receipts than there is money in the vault then you have a bank run and and you know you have a difficult situation and that expose the problems with the bank. But today people think the best way to avoid a bank run is to insure deposits. You know, we have what's in the United States, what's called the federal um, deposit insurance corporation to ensure that banks will can use inflation to give you your money back, but that's not really the solution. The solution (laughs) is honest money that your receipts should represent real money, such Mm -hmm. as historically what was gold and silver. So you, so you can't, um, you can't go to the bank today and get some gold or silver by turning in your, your bank notes. (laughs) Yes, not anymore. Uh, historically speaking, in the United States, um, the certificates, the money used to say that you could redeem it in gold at mm-hmm. the bank, but no longer because 
um, the United States went off the gold standard and, you know, we could get into history of yeah. that, such as, um, you know, Franklin Delano Roosevelt and his New Deal programs and his efforts to expand the money supply. He knew that his spending um, would result in inflation. So then he, uh, he had the gold confiscation laws. Mm-hmm. People could, weren't allowed to have gold because, you know, that would prevent the government from being able to expand and spend money on projects in their false notion that that was what the economy needed. Actually, it was theft from the labor of the the Hmm. citizenry, Hmm. but then gold was actually illegal to hold um, there until after, you know, until the 1970s. But then that would, you know, we'd get into the history of uh, the wars and the Bretton Woods Accords and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, just, I mean, obviously we can't get gold today. Well, you can still get gold, but not not at the bank um but yes. uh you said that per the FDIC you have a situation where um the bank has this money that it gets from its from its patrons its customers and then it's hoping that not every single person comes back for their money at the same time so it's kind of taking a, a little bit of a risk or a gamble and it's a little dishonest, obviously, and it uses that money. It spends it or loans it or, or whatever. But like you said, mm-hmm. if everyone runs on the bank, um, the FDIC, is that basically nothing more than uh, the like another higher bank, the federal <laughs> bank, just just promises to to backfill the, the other bank with the with the cash? Like, how does that work? Yeah. Yes. Originally, I I believe when it was established, um, it would insure deposits up to Mm -hmm. $10,000. Now it's, it's been 250,000 for quite a while. So if you have one bank account that you have millions of dollars in, if somehow there were uh, a bank run, you, you would only get 250,000 insured, Mm -hmm. you know, to re to uh, replace it. But, you know, yeah, that is, uh, that is the solution that mm. the government provides mm. to uh, avoid bank runs. But of course, I believe that's not the correct solution. <laughs> yeah, because is it nothing more than just deception and, and theft? Like what makes it, is that, is that why it's bad? Yeah, I mean, this would, this would go back to the legalized institutional practice of fractional reserve banking. I mean, fractional reserve banking was kind of something that, you know, banks tried to do and get away with. But now with the central bank, especially the Federal Reserve System that started in 1913, now you have legalized, institutionalized fractional reserve banking as the engine for the economy and what so what fractional reserve banking is is that um a bank can lend out um money that more money than it has in reserves in its vault so let's say you know you have what's called the reserve ratio that the federal reserve sets and um so if say for instance the reserve ratio is 10% that means that the bank uh, is required to have um, in its vaults 10% of the cash that in total it lends out to uh, to borrowers. So it could lend out, you know, um, nine times, you know, mm-hmm. if I'm calculating correctly, what it has in the vaults. And so <laughs> definitely that you'd see like well, that should cause a bank run, but now that it's institutionalized and people don't understand what's going on, then mm-hmm. the banks are making money and uh, with their loans and inflating the supply of money, which we could talk about what yeah. inflation is and uh, what the Bible says about it. Yeah. But, you know, basically it's like our purchasing power, the how much we could buy with a dollar it gets spread thin. We can buy less with it as the banks mm-hmm. end up getting more of the purchasing power because they could lend out, they can create new money and lend out what they don't have, what they haven't earned. Yeah. And we get to use money that we have to work to earn and uh, see its 
purchasing power stolen from us. Yeah. So that's what I wanted to go to next because um, whenever I, you know, with these, especially with these stimulus checks and, and you're getting uh, the government spending trillions of trillions of dollars and, and, and no one seems to bat an eye at it. And uh, I, I, I just inform people like, well, I, I can't see how it's going to avoid inflation because it just seems like the money is coming out of thin air. It's not money that we've we've saved uh, in kind of like a rainy day fund. Like maybe it'd be one thing if the government had a balanced budget and we had a surplus and we had 10% every year saved for the rainy day fund. And then rainy day happens, you know, pandemic. And now you have $2 trillion saved that's actually legitimate uh, real money that you can actually, you know, spend as you see fit. But what's happening here is we're in debt. We have a deficit. We spend more than we take in. And then we're going to, we're just going to create more money out of thin air. And what I tell people kind of tongue in cheek is that it's, it's not, it's nothing more than Chuck E. Cheese tokens. Like, like it's, <laughs> it's not, re- it's just not going to go very well. It's going to, it's going to diminish the value, which, I, I, you know, I try to explain inflation, but maybe for, for my listeners, you can uh, please explain how that is inflation, how inflation is a damaging thing. Yeah. So when I mentioned what qualifies as a good money, one of the features is, um, that it's relatively scarce and mm-hmm. built into, say, gold and silver that has to be mined and, uh, you know, that, that they're relatively scarce metals. So they hold their value. Uh, they they can't really be manipulated as easily, but mm-hmm. <laughs> inflation is, um, at least historically defined, which is the definition I'm holding to, inflation is an increase in the supply of money that ultimately results in an increase in prices. Now, when you hear economists today talk about inflation, mostly they talk about rising prices, but that's not what inflation is. Inflation is a monetary phenomenon. It, it it has to do with the supply of money itself, which results in rising prices. But by focusing on defining inflation now as just an increase in prices, they hide the, the cause of it. But so now what is the effect yeah. of this when yeah. the money supply is increased? Inflation doesn't simply mean that the government creates new money and then distributes <coughs> excuse me, mm-hmm. the results in proportion to what everyone has. In other words, if the government doubles the money supply, it's not as if everyone's money holdings simply double. You know, mm-hmm. that would make inflation really have no other effect than to adjust price figures, but and everyone would still be as wealthy as before. Mm-hmm. But that is far from what inflation actually is. Inflation, <coughs> inflation in practice is, is no different in effect than counterfeiting. Those who have the legal privilege to print new money at will can benefit themselves and their favored parties, all their friends. The counterfeiter or his friends who get this new money can, of course, buy goods and services at their current prices. And as they buy a portion of the supply of goods and services and their counterfeited money circulates, um, prices eventually adjust to reflect the new ratio of the money supply to the Mm. currently available supply of goods and services. So the counterfeiter and their, and their favored friends benefit from this because they get free goods and services with the money that they create. But who loses? It's those who do honest work and are not connected to the scheme. Hmm. What they earn for their work will tend to lag behind the, (coughs) the increase in prices. Hmm. Uh, This is really a theft of labor. Any savings that they have worked to set aside becomes less valuable as each unit of money can buy less. So it it really is theft. Yeah, I was just trying to think about uh, in its simplest form, kind of like if I was in my basement with a a printing press that could print counterfeit bills, um, you know, I I say I get like a million dollars. I made a million dollars. And no one else knows that. 
And now I can take advantage of the fact that the market, you know, the prices of a car, of a house or whatever, they're all the same. Um, but as I start buying all this stuff and the money starts to go out into the world, then, you know, as I'm buying more and more stuff, the prices of those items will, will raise. Um, so I get the benefit of the uh, low prices at the beginning. So I get all the stuff. And then as my money starts going out into the market, those people, they get more money. Maybe they're able to buy some stuff at a decent price before it rises high. But the person at the very end of the whip or of the rope, um, you know, the prices have all increased the market is already uh, adjusted when they're finally seeing the money if you will and and so those people are the marginalized the ones that get hurt the most which are i guess i would assume typically the, the like the poor because mm-hmm. the first people that are getting the money from from the big injection from the government are like people that need the big loans corporate big business that kind of stuff but but the average laborer who's poor isn't going to see that uh, until the prices have all raised. Is that a fair understanding? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what inflation does and who it affects. You know, those who are connected to the scheme get uh, cheaper goods and services or even free goods and services because they create the money. Mm-hmm. And then because the prices rise as the money supply um, grows, and prices readjust those who are on fixed incomes, you know, the working uh, middle class and poor, those who save money and, you know, the fatherless and the widows, as the Bible talks about a lot, mm-hmm. they're the ones who suffer the most from mm-hmm. this uh, scheme of counterfeiting, legalized, monopolized mm-hmm. counterfeiting. Hmm. Yeah, and I also was thinking of the uh, the folks that are because you mentioned the widow, but the folks that are retired too, because yes. you know they they worked all their lives and they are you know let's say they invested or, or saved you know several million dollars and they're living off the interest or whatever, but they planned they planned their retirement off of a certain uh, cost of living and a certain level of um, of lifestyle that they wanted to have, but as they see prices increase. And they're not getting any more money because they're retired. Then they're the ones that suffer and they, they realize that their plans are, are being overturned or upended by the, like you said, the deception and the cheating of the other people. Is yes, that fair? That's a- that's exactly what happens. And, you know, it's like I say, I wish a lot more people understood this. And especially uh, Christians really need to understand this because this is this violates God's law. It violates the uh, the Ten Commandments. You know, thou shalt not steal. Hmm. And if inflation counterfeiting is stealing the uh honest labor from other people it's robbing them of what they've worked to earn by it's a transfer of wealth redistribution of wealth from those who produce the money from those who actually work to produce the goods and services that back the money Hmm. essentially you know it's it's theft and so it definitely it violates it directly violates god's law and there's even verses and the, there's passages in the Bible that we can definitely see um, oppose inflation as dishonesty. And, and some of these uh, things are some of the reasons Israel went into captivity that uh, God harshly judged people hmm. because, you know, it's a it calls them thieves. Yeah, I was wondering if. Uh... Uh, if maybe my understanding is wrong of this passage, but I think it might apply the passages that have to do with, um, uh, equal weights and measures. So <clears throat> for, for, for those listening, like, I get, like in the ancient world, obviously you have you know, a five pound weight or whatever and 10 pound weight. And, uh, you know, when you're, I want to buy sugar or something like that, measure it out. And, but if you, if you were a little sneaky and you said it was a five pound weight, 
but it was really four pounds, then basically you can get five pounds worth of money or money for five pounds of sugar, but you're only giving the person four pounds of sugar. So you have a dishonest weight and measure. Do you, do you see those laws applicable to the issue of inflation? Yes, I definitely do. Uh, Deuteronomy 25, verses 13 through 15, uh, God says, Thou shall not have in thy bag divers weights, a great and a small. Mm-hmm. Thou shall not have in thine house divers measures, a great and a small. So the, the, the weights and the measures need to be perfect. Verse 15, but thou shalt have a perfect and just weight, a perfect and just measure shalt thou have, that thy days may be lengthened in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. So, you know, God's promise to Israel that they'll be in the promised land uh, seemed to depend on them having honest transactions that didn't rob people by manipulating uh, the money or the way to measure the mm-hmm. money. Uh, we see of uh, the effects of inflation in Scripture, where the curses of God, for instance, in Isaiah chapter one verses twenty-two through twenty-three, says, "Thy silver has become dross; mm. thy wine mixed with water, or in other words, diluted. Thy princes, you know, the rulers, are rebellious and companions of thieves. Mm. Everyone loves gifts and follows after rewards. They judge not the fatherless; neither do, do the cause of the." widow come unto them so that sounds like um inflation there inflate mm-hmm. there's a dilution of of wine and silver there inflation hurts people on fixed incomes those uh living off savings and retirement the poor the fatherless and the widows mm-hmm. suffer as the passage says um they suffer the most and uh god calls these rulers thieves for doing that mm-hmm. so I mean, I know we could definitely go on for hours. So much to talk about, uh, there too. But I do want to spend some time. Um, you know, we've, we've painted kind of a, uh, a little a depressing picture, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the state of things here. But as Christians who really care, uh, about, you know, justice or, or things like that, God's law or fairness and, and, and that kind of thing, what should Christians be uh, either doing or advocating for in order to kind of maybe turn back things a little bit or kind of fix things a little bit? Because like, it seems like we're so far down this rabbit hole. How do we begin to work our way back? <laughs> I mean, I definitely think that proper, properly educating people on these matters, as we kind of discussed, is, is part of them. Um, parents teach your children about uh, the value of a dollar, you know, the honest labor and then and economics, um, uh, the uh, biblical sound money and the problems of why the government's so corrupt, as the Bible says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, which some coveted after have pierced them through their me- with many sorrows. And we see that's what the government does by loving money, loving creating money, loving what money buys by uh, stealing from people. <laughs> and uh, so it starts with education. Uh, Christians really need to understand how serious this is, that really the engine for inflation, which is uh, counterfeiting and theft, is the engine for all, you know, virtually all the corruption we see in government it's mm. it, um it's ultimately a cause for unjust wars you know in christianity we have the just war theory but we haven't really seen a just war for a long time like governments are quick to go to war because they have an inflationary money system that hides the costs of war and they want to go on foreign adventuring and and people just you know, think that there's really no cost to war, but you know, that's another cause, a problem, a moral problem with inflation. So I think, you know, educating people about that, if we really understood this, then perhaps Christians would um, really change their voting and not just be manipulated by, say, the two-party system, they would start to demand that if someone wants their votes, they got to end the corruption. And you can't end the corruption if you have uh, a corrupt government with a corrupt uh, money spigot allowing them to 
spend money on things unjustly, rob people, uh, destroy savings. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. completely unbiblical. So mm-hmm. we need to understand that and, and, uh, uh, make that a major part of how we, um, fight for justice, you know, true justice, not social justice, but, mm-hmm. you know, justice, equality under the law, under uh, God's law, and mm-hmm. that, you know, we can start from the ground up, fight in uh, for justice in local governments, you know, mm-hmm. there's the principle of the lesser magistrate, and then oh, yeah. work our way up from there, but anyone who demand that anyone who wants your vote will fight against the corruption of the unjust money system. Mm-hmm. You know, I was thinking of, because uh, we could pick on, certainly we can pick on, let's say, the Democratic Party, but we can also, you know, there's there's some blame to be, to be given to the Republicans who have become also fiscally irresponsible, uh, voting for and in support of, you know, stimulus checks and, and things like that. And I know that there was a time in the past, uh, a quasi-recent past with the Tea Party movement, where there was an attempt to try to introduce some kind of uh, restraint and integrity um amongst the amongst the politicians and and so i i certainly would advocate for that kind of an integrity and um i do think that whether you're you're democrat or republican you need to hold you know the people that you vote for accountable for their wicked spending practices i mean would you would you agree with that yes definitely it's and of course, when it comes to the two parties that we have shoved down our throats, uh, it's yeah. it's hard for me to even conceive of voting for a Democrat. You know, yeah. they're like just rotten to the core. You know, I cannot vote for anyone who supports abortion or, mm-hmm. um, you know, homosexuality, transgenderism. You know, yeah. I'm conservative that way. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's like absolute corruption there. And then. I know a lot of Republicans are, you know, it's like there may be a little bit better, but, you know, it's like, okay, if, if the Republicans are our hope, you know, we got to hold their feet to the fire and not, you know, just simply vote for them out of spite for the Democrats. I know I could would get crucified by some of my fellow um, <laughs> Christian conservatives for that. But I'm, I'm not one who favors the two party system. I'm not one who like, you know, votes uh, Republican party ticket because I'm scared of the Democrats. Uh-huh. I'm going to vote my conscience and, you know, and say, Hey, if you want my vote, you've got to support the truth period. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that, Dan, and I, I think that's a an important perspective to have. Uh yeah, and I, a mature one that I wouldn't I would I would um echo you on that and encourage people to vote in accordance with their conscience and, and not be necessarily married uh to one party or the other. Um I mean I know that uh, our time slips us by, but uh the last question I wanted to ask is how can folks um, get, get to learn more about you, your ministry, your podcast? Uh, where can they find information about you or, or go to support you uh, on, online? Well, my, my podcast is uh, Truth Espresso. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned before, you can get to the website for that. That's www.truthspresso.com and you can see all the episodes I have there and Truth Espresso uh, really is about seeking truth uh, in uh, the Word of God. Um, I like to focus on things that a lot of people forget. Um, I Truth Espresso has a lot of focus on things like theology proper. I have a lot on Christology and a lot of Christians don't think much of the depth of uh, doctrines like the Trinity, the the incarnation, who Jesus Christ is, and um, the nature of the atonement, how all that relates, and church history. Uh, so I get into that a lot. I try to be a little entertaining with that because I, <laughs> I also have a series going on, Is Jesus Like? 
uh, different superheroes and each <laughs> superhero represents a particular error about Jesus from church history. So we get to learn a little bit of church history by thinking about superheroes. And um, I also deal with some political and economic topics because I hope that I can really educate Christians on things that, you know, might uh, be ignorant about and realize how serious, as I hope our discussion reveals, how serious and how corrupt things like, um, you know, the monetary system is. And we might look at the surface sometimes and see like, oh, the government's doing this or that. And you think, well, why are they able to do that? It's because what's the root of the problem? Mm -hmm. And so we get in, into there on uh, episodes of Truth Espresso. And that's truthspresso.com, the website for my podcast. Awesome. I'm also on Facebook, mm -hmm. um, Daniel Minnick. Um, yeah. No, I appreciate that, Dan. And, uh, again, I will uh, definitely ask uh, folks to send you any questions if they have any questions about topics such as economics. Uh, certainly they can, they can ask me as well, but I'll probably just forward them to you. Uh, <laughs> cause, uh, I might not be able to answer them to the level that you can, but I really appreciate you, uh, coming on the show today to talk about, uh, this important topic. And, you know, it's, it's definitely something I'm passionate about too. And I'm also trying to learn how to apply, uh, you know, God's law in every area of life and, and economics is very complicated and there's so much to learn about it. But, uh, I'm thankful for, uh, men like you who are, are doing that and also, uh, touching on so many other topics because there's a lot to, there's a lot to cover out there and we all have to be, uh, working together to, uh, to educate others, uh, and, and proclaim the truth. So, uh, thank you again, uh, for coming out today. Yes. Thank you, Eric. It's, it was definitely a pleasure to be on Governed by God. Well, I hope that you enjoyed that discussion that I had with Daniel Minnick and I know I enjoyed it. There was much that we could, uh, continue talking about economics is an important topic, a kind of a complicated one in a lot of ways. But as Christians, we, there's so many things we need to think about and to think through, especially as we're reflecting on God's law. And so please, I'd encourage you to take a look at the Truth Espresso podcast and, and look at some of the other topics that uh, Daniel Minnick talks about, especially on the, on the matter of economics. So you can go again to uh, com to find more about uh, his podcast. And so I hope you enjoyed that interview that I had with Eric Leupold of Governed by God. And we've both let each other know since that we would love to be on each other's show in the future. So look forward to more discussions between the two of us about various topics, including biblical law and theology. And so now stay tuned for the next episode of Truth Espresso, where perhaps, God willing, my wife and I will be able to continue our series on the topic of marriage. Thank you for waking up with Truth Espresso. Good morning, and God bless your day. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso. 